Good morning. Christ is risen. All right, let's do it again. Christ is risen. All right, well, happy Easter. Uh, it is Easter, so turn to the book of Ruth. Um, that seems logical. It's the next book in our Old Testament study, so that's where we're going to go from uh, this morning. Um, I'm not very creative, so uh, that's where we are. Now, in all seriousness, we... Uh, as we've been marching through the Old Testament, uh, we, we skipped the book of Ruth. So we've already gotten past uh, uh, David. We've actually got a divided kingdom on our hands right now. Uh, but we wanted to wait to hit Ruth so that you can see the importance of it. And I'm hoping you'll see, see that as we go through. This is an incredible book. Um, and we're going to try, God willing, to get through all four chapters together this morning. Many folks, and these are folks even outside of the, of a confessional environment, those who wouldn't even name Christ, uh, they'll, they'll say that Ruth is the greatest short story ever written. And I fully agree. I've loved it, uh, as I've dove in, especially this week. My wife's ready for me to get past this because of all the Boaz jokes and all that that I've been making, but, um, I, uh, it is, this is, it has a Jane Austen type feel to it as you read through it. If you're a young lady and you've never read Jane Austen, first repent with sackcloth and ashes, uh, then repent again, then go to a library or just Amazon, it's worth buying it, and pick up anything that Jane Austen wrote, uh, and, uh, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. I think, I think she was very, uh, helped by the book of Ruth. So anyway, here we are, book of Ruth, Easter Sunday, this is good. Let me pray for us before we begin. God, I'm enthralled with your word. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable just the idea of it. The idea that we, your people, can open up a book and know that every word in it is from you. That's unbelievable. Unbelievable that it's in our language. Unbelievable that by your grace, most of us can read it. What an incredible gift. And then, Lord, you give us content like the book of Ruth, and it's just unnerving. It's such a gift. Father, I pray that the insights from the book of Ruth, the gift that you've given us uh, in this book would come out this morning. I pray, God, that we would identify ourselves with this desperate, helpless woman. Lord, I know because I'm surrounded by a group of people who, like me, were born of Adam, that there are some desperate, helpless folks in this room. And God, I pray that you would be kind enough to show them that. Pray that you'd be kind enough to call them to a Redeemer. And Lord, I pray that the love that is seen in this book would happen in their lives when they embrace their Redeemer, Jesus Christ, this morning. We thank You that we serve a risen Redeemer. And we pray, Father, now that You would guide us. Thank You for His work. And now we pray that Your Spirit would teach. In Your name we pray. Amen. Alright, so you need to be in uh, Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We'll begin there together. Um, and we're going to do a lot of reading. Uh, so it should be up on the screens for you. Here's the title. Outside the Kingdom, Desperate and Poor ready for redemption. Outside the kingdom, desperate and poor, and ready 
for redemption. So let's read together Ruth chapter 1, verse 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine. So this is days when the judges are. This is before the kings. This is before David. There was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab. He and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi. And the names of the sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and they remained there. Now, as you read in the Old Testament, you were told multiple times that if there's a famine in the land of Israel, it's because God has brought it. And God was actually very intentional when He brought His people into the land. Uh, so as they're in the conquest, He told them, He said, Listen, I'm going to bring famine in your land, and there's one reason. It's to tell you, you better repent, turn from your sins, and turn back to Me. So famine hits the land of Israel. Our friend Elimelech, who we're introduced here at the beginning of the book of Ruth, he doesn't lead his family to repentance like he should have. Instead, what does he do? He packs up his bags and he leads his family out of Israel to a pagan land. Now it gets worse. He doesn't just lead them to a pagan land. He leads them to the land of Moab. Moab, long story short, bad, real bad. These people are cursed by God. Story, the father of Moab uh, is a guy by the name of, hold still, Moab. Moab was born, you might remember the story in Genesis 19, Lot had two sons, they're wiped out, so he has their daughter, their, their wives, his daughter-in-laws, get them liquored up one night, actually separate nights, it happens more than once, get them liquored up, trick them, he gets them uh, uh, with child, one of them is named Moab, and the other son was named Ben-Amin. One's the father of the Moabites, and the other the father of the Ammonites. And guess who are the worst enemies of Israel from them on? Moabites and the Ammonites. Elimelech packs up his family and moves them to go to Moab. Wrong move. Evil move. And the text emphasizes this. Look how it says. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So the, the emphasis, the idea here is the famine's gone. They just stayed. Verse 3. Belimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. She was left there with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah. The name of the other, Ruth. They lived there about ten years. And both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So when Elimelech dies, Ruth does not, so sorry, Naomi does not return to Israel. No, she stays there in Moab and goes one further. She commiserates in the sin of her husband by doing what? Marrying her sons to Moabite wives. Bad move. Her sons then die. So now we have Naomi in a horrible situation in that culture. She's in a foreign land. She has no husband. And she has no sons. And make it worse, she now has two daughter-in-laws to feed. Things 
are looking horrible. Verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard that the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited His people and given them food. It's a very important verse. What just happened? Naomi hears that there's food in Israel. Naomi packs up and heads home. I think it's an important verse in the book of Ruth because it is the beginning of repentance on Naomi's part. It's the beginning of repentance on Naomi's part. Now, you may be saying, now wait a second, is this really genuine repentance? It sounds like Naomi's just doing the same thing her husband did and she's just following the food. There's famine in the land of Moab and now there's food in Israel, so she's just going there. But I'll be honest, I actually think this is a picture indicative of biblical repentance. This is what biblical repentance looks like. Biblical repentance happens when you find your life lived outside the kingdom of God is leaving you desperate and hopeless. You turn from it and... You look at life inside the kingdom of God and you find it as the only place where you might find hope. That is what biblical repentance is. I think we've got a slide on biblical repentance, do we? Yes. Seeing your life outside the boundaries of God's kingdom is hopeless. Enough that you turn from it. And seeing life inside the boundaries of God's kingdom as the one place with hope so much that you turn to it. That's what happened for Naomi. She looked at life in Moab and said, this is getting me nowhere quick. She looked at life in Israel and said, there's hope there. I'm going. Friend, you may be here this morning and you may be in Moab. There may be around you desperate hopelessness. I'm telling you, there's food in Israel. Turn from Moab. Turn to the kingdom of God. There is a feast that awaits you at the Savior's table. Verse 7. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they... Uh, law there had about four syllables. That's... Uh, I appreciate it. Law. Alright, anyway. Um, and they went on to the... Uh, I'll never forget, years ago I was up in Detroit and we were doing a, a, a backyard survival club and I was teaching the kids and uh, one of the kids got done, he raised his hand. I thought, oh boy, he, he's really listening. He said, sir, you talk like you have a bag over your head. Okay, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You have a good day. Um, so let me turn to the one on judgment. We'll go there. All right, anyway. And it, uh, so, uh, so she set out from the place where she was with her daughter-in-laws, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, Go return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as He's dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, no, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that I 
that may become your husbands, turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I'm too old to have a husband. And if I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and bear sons, what are you going to do? Wait till they are grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? Naomi pleads with her daughter-in-law. You've got no husbands. You get how the culture works. You need husbands. I'm not getting you any husbands. You need to go seek husbands. Verse 14. They lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orphah kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth clung to her. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So Orpah says, you know, you got a good point. I think I'm heading back. The text is careful. It's careful here to show us that Orpah makes the logical choice. This is the logical choice. It was a horrific choice. It's a choice that would cause Orpah eternal ruin. She had the opportunity to throw herself upon the God of Israel as the only hope, and instead she returned to the gods who were not gods of Moab. This was both the natural choice and the most foolish choice. Let me say that again. This was both the most natural choice and the most foolish choice. When you are thinking of spiritual things, understand that given our sin nature, given the choices around us, it is often that the most natural choice for us is the most foolish choice. And Orpah made a foolish, foolish choice. Verse 16, But Ruth said, do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. I love this. Where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God shall be my God. Where you die, I'll die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord That's Yahweh. It's probably all caps in your Bible, Lord, there. May Yahweh do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. This is unbelievable, unbelievable kindness. It's unnatural kindness. It's evidence of a converted heart. While the text displays Orpah's choice as natural, it's careful for us to see Ruth's choice as unnatural, seemingly foolish, brass. But it's all explained with this phrase, your God will be my God. Ruth may be a Moabite, but she is a child of God. Every soul in here has an option. You can live your life as Orpah or you can live your life as Ruth. But there are no other options. 
What Orpah did seems logical. She returns to find her husband. Yet let this be a warning. If the way you spend your time and your energy seems to make sense to those who are outside the kingdom of God, then you are likely more like Orpah and you should be very concerned about your state. You might call it the Orpah syndrome. The way you spend your time, energy, and money, as well as your goals and hopes, they make perfect sense to those who are outside of God's kingdom. If that's the case, friend, be diagnosed this morning. Let the Spirit of God diagnose you. And would you be nervous before God? That led Orpah to eternal ruin. Verse 19. So the two of them, that's Ruth and that's Naomi, went on until they came to Bethlehem. Man, that city is going to get a little bit of play in the uh, Bible, isn't it? And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? <laughs> she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the, Lord, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. And the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? Naomi, by the way, means pleasant. Mara means bitter. When the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me. So as they return, Naomi tells the town, God has acted bitterly towards me. Now do not read her wrong. And nothing here indicates that she's blaming God. In fact, the opposite. She's, she is taking responsibility for how God has acted. Verse 1, chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Now we don't really know at this point. If you're just walking through, you're like, okay, um, that's interesting. Now it's something to keep in mind. He's called worthy. Only one other person in the book is going to be called worthy. Ruth. Just give me some hints. Alright, so the text introduces us to Boaz. He's a good man. Verse 2. Completely separated. Now verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. Now you may recall in the law, I'm thinking here in terms of Leviticus 19, Deuteronomy 24, you might remember that God set it up so that if you harvested a field, you always left some for those who do not have land and they needed some so that there would be leftovers. Ruth knew that. She turns to her mother-in-law and said, I would love the opportunity to go glean for us and get us food. And Naomi says, go. <clears throat> go. Verse 3. So she set out. And she went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. These are the workers. These are people harvesting. And she, air quotes, happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who is the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. <laughs> so Ruth just happens to land in the field of Boaz. And the first... Now, we've already been told he's a good man. Look at the scene when he's introduced. 
We meet Boaz, and how do we meet him? He comes back down and he goes into his field and he tells his workers, the Lord bless you. And the workers love him so much, the Lord bless you. This is a man who is a good man. Verse 5. By the way, you'll see there's a deep connection here between the kindness of Ruth and the kindness of Boaz. They are types That is, they are pictures of what it looks like to be a believer, a Christian. One of the biggest marks of a Christian should be kindness. Just kind. Verse 5, Then Boaz says to his young man who is in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? I think he said it like that too. Whose young woman is this? And the servant who is in charge of the reapers answered, She's the young Moabite woman. Now you get this. She's a marked woman, right? She's the young Moabite woman. So Boaz says, who's the young woman? And he fills in, no, 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 no. You need to know something about her. She's the young Moabite woman. You know, she's the one where God actually says in the text, nobody from Moab's coming into the kingdom of God for ten generations. Repeated in five biblical books. That's why he says she's a young Moabite. She's a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. In case you didn't know, she's a Moabite. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. Ruth goes with complete humility and says, can I, can I just glean? So she came and she's continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, First time they're talking. Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in any other field or leave this one, but you keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Boaz basically says, you don't need to worry. I will take care of you. Oh, love it. Alright, verse 10. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I'm a foreigner? Why? Why do you care? Verse 11. But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. Verse 12, The Lord repay you for what you have done and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel. Listen to this. The Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So if you think I overplayed the point there about Ruth believing in the God of Israel to get there, it's not overplayed. It's straight out of Boaz's mouth. He understands you have come here because you said to the God of Israel, cover me, cover me. So Ruth returns home and she tells Naomi all about what has happened. Verse 19. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had uh, worked and, and said, the man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And now Naomi. Verse 20, Naomi said her daughter-in-law, may he be blessed by the Lord 
whose kindness, speaking of the Lord here, has not forsaken the living or the dead. Now notice this Naomi who gives credit to the Lord for her misfortune is also just as quick to give credit to the Lord for her blessings. She said, God is up to something. God is up to something. Naomi also said to her, listen closely, the man is a close relative of ours. He is one of our redeemers. And that word is very, very important. When God gave out the land of the people, He set up a system whereby if a family had to mortgage their land and move off of it, then there would always be the opportunity for a kinsman who's close to redeem the land. Otherwise, if a family goes in debt, they'll never get the land back. And God knew in that culture, no land, your family line is doomed forever. So they came up with what they called a kinsman redeemer. If you had to mortgage your property and leave it, a kinsman close to you got first dibs on paying it back at an acceptable rate. They also had something called leveret marriage. Now, leveret marriage would be translated something like this. You can marry your brother-in-law. I see a lot of you are like, oh God, I'm so thankful I'm not in that land. But um, if you're a woman in that land, you got to remember your husband dies and if you have no sons, life is not good for you. It is very, very tough for you. God gave them the uh, a, a system whereby you, a brother-in-law, would take you uh, as his wife and there would still be hopes of you being able to have children and you would be protected by the brother-in-law. You probably remember this in Genesis 38. You remember Judah has a son named Ur. Ur is wicked and God strikes him dead. He has a wife though that he leaves, uh, leaves and her name is Tamar. Tamar, Judah says to his other son, Onan, you should go marry Tamar. So Onan uh, marries Tamar, happy to do so. He says, you need an impregnator. But Onan says, wait a second, if I do that, I can't get Ur's inheritance. So he marries her, enjoys all the benefits thereof, but makes sure he doesn't impregnate her. You can get the details later, Chad will be glad to explain them. So instead, so that's an example though of leveret marriage. Judah realizes Tamar's in a difficult situation, so marries her to his brother-in-law. Now, you remember how that story ends kind of oddly, right? So Tamar, still feeling desperate and betrayed, goes and tricks her father-in-law Judah and gets him to impregnate her. Again, Chad would love to explain the details. Um, Hopefully, no picture Bible though. Alright, so... um, This is a redeemer, a kinsman redeemer, and the idea that there is hope for one who will marry you. Keep it all together, okay? Because the story is getting ready to get good. Verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? This is such kindness on her part. Because what happens if she marries... This woman who's been so kind to her, what happens to Naomi if Ruth marries? Naomi is no longer her her mother-in-law. And what is their relation right now? Mother-in-law and daughter-in-law. It ends. And her response is, I've got to do everything I can to take care of you. So sweet. Verse 2, it's not 
Is not Boaz our relative with who, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. That's where they winnow barley. Uh, that's about all the details I can give right now. Verse 3, Wash therefore and anoint yourself and put on the cloak and go down to the threshing floor, but do not make for yourself, sorry, do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. What? Verse 4, When he lies down, look to where he lies. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I'll do. Alright, this is not what you're expecting is the next move in a biblical story, right? You're expecting some type of conversation between Naomi and Boaz try to figure this thing out. Let's do the right thing. You're not expecting Naomi to tell Ruth, here's the deal. You need to wait till he gets a lot of food and drink in him and then slip in his bed and then God will move forward with what he wants to do, right? That's not what you're expecting. But that's what happens. Now, there are many folks who look at this and think this is risky business on Naomi's part. Perhaps it is. I'll be honest. I don't think that's the thrust of the text. In fact, I think it's all explained with one statement. And he will tell you what to do. It wasn't risky because she knew the character of Boaz. A remarkable character. And she believed he'll do the right thing. She saw... A righteous Redeemer. Verse 6. Oh boy, here we go. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over. And behold... A woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who are you? (laughs) Typically, when men wake up with strange women in their bed, something salvific is not about to occur. It's a different case here. Something different is about to occur. She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. This is a climax of the book of Ruth, right here. I'm Ruth. I'm your servant. Would you spread your wings over me? For you're a redeemer. Ruth, a barren, poor, widowed, Moabite, desperate woman, climbs in the bed of a righteous redeemer and says, Please, save me. Boaz, as you will soon see, very explicitly represents Jesus of Nazareth. He represents the Redeemer King, Jesus. Ruth represents every single person who's outside of the Kingdom of God. Short, Ruth represents you, and Ruth represents me. You cannot identify with Ruth unless you find yourself desperate, hopeless, poor, needy, and outside the kingdom of God. And the only hope you have is Christ Jesus. That's marks of conversion. And those are marks 
of what it means to be converted admit our desperate, helpless state. Cast our entire hope and lot upon the God of Israel, the true and the living God, and look to Jesus as your Redeemer, believing He paid your sins at an incredible, incredible cost. It's the amazing story that says we, broken, desperate people, dare climb in the bed of the Redeemer of Israel and ask, would you be willing at an infinite cost to pay for my sins and redeem me and save me? And it's the incredible story that the answer is, I will. It's called the Gospel. It's everything that we breathe in and breathe out here. It's what gives us life. Verse 10, And He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made the last kindness, that is this, greater than the first, that is, coming back with Naomi, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. He's like, I get it. You don't, you don't need me, an old man. You could have just looked for, you know, a younger woman, or a younger man. That's a, that's a logical thing to do. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. That's exactly what Boaz was called at the beginning of chapter 2. All right. Verse 12. And now it is true, he's continuing, and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If He will redeem you, good. Let Him do it. But if He's not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until it's morning. What? This isn't cool. What do you mean another redeemer? We want Boaz, right? Come on, Boaz. Who cares the law says there's a closer one he gets first dibs? Who cares about the law? Thrust of the text. Here it is. Your Redeemer will not go around the law. Your Redeemer will walk you through the law. Jesus is a Redeemer who walks us through the law. Verse 14, So she lay at His feet until morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And He said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. That wouldn't help their worthy reputations. 15, he said, bring the garment you're wearing and hold it out. So she held it and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city. So, by the way, she had enough extra clothing there that she could get six measures of barley. This will be our um, standard in my household when my daughter goes to dress. If we can't fix six measures of barley for the extra fabric, you're not walking out with it. We'll see. All right. Anyway, uh, then she went into the city. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go empty-handed to your mother-in-law. Isn't that amazing? Her life is about to get turned upside down, and she's excited about what he gave Naomi. Unreal kindness. 18, here we go. She replied, wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle the matter today. 
Now, I find some commentators hilarious here as they try to throw out uh, uh, their uh, thoughts on how it is that Naomi would know that Boaz would get the matter settled quickly. The woman had two sons. She knows that a young woman just crawled in bed with an older man. That man is not going to rest, and Naomi knows it, until he's done everything he can to secure her back in the bed, right? That's exactly what the thrust of the text says. In other words, it's as if Naomi is saying, this is the last night that brother will sleep alone, and he's going to rest assured that he's done everything possible to secure that. Verse 1, Now Boaz has gone up to the gate, and he sat down there. And behold... The Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken came by. You'll never get his name. That's judgment. He's anonymous. That's his name. So Boaz said, turn aside, friends, sit down here. And he turned aside and he sat down. He took ten of the elders of the city. Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people, if you will redeem it. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you'll not, tell me that I may know, for there's no one beside you to redeem it, and I come after you. So Boaz lays out the case. He says, look, here's the deal. You have every right to redeem this. Do you want to redeem it? And the response is, look with me, verse 4, and he said, I will redeem it. No! We don't want you. We want Boaz, you three-headed toad. Right? We want Boaz. I'm telling you, this is just like a Jane Austen novel. It's just like it. She stole. She stole all of it from Ruth. All right, anyway... um, But if you're going to steal, steal from the Bible. It's not a bad thing. All right. Verse 5. Boaz. He's not finished yet. Then Boaz said, The day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. (laughs) Now, other time he looked at Ruth, he didn't say anything about her being a Moabite. But this time he thought he would just toss that in. Ruth the Moabite the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead and his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption for yourself, for I cannot redeem it. The three-headed toad is blind in all three heads. Thank God. Because Boaz is going to get Ruth. This is Orpah. Take two. This man, intentionally nameless, makes the most natural, logical choice. Why would he take a land that's probably not worth very much, have to buy it off, and also have to take on a woman and take on, and and in some ways has a real strong risk of risking his inheritance? What's the choice here? No, I don't want her. (laughs) It's interesting. The very reason he didn't take her, namely to secure his inheritance, ended up costing him the greatest inheritance that will ever be named, namely to have Jesus Christ in your bloodline. I think it was Jim Elliott 
who said, He is no fool who, who gives up what he cannot keep to be able to keep what he cannot lose. Alright, it's also ironic, isn't it? The very part of the deal this guy doesn't want is the only part of the deal that Boaz seems to care about. Boaz is like, you can have the land, just give me the woman, right? Verse 9, Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, You are my witnesses this day that I have bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Limelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the the widow of Malon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are my witnesses today. Folks, Boaz paid for Ruth. He bought her at a price. Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, paid dearly for the church of God. He bought her at the price of having the wrath of God laid upon Him on the cross of Calvary. He paid. And there's coming a day when He's going to stand before all of heaven and He's going to say, You are my witnesses. I bought this bride. And she's beautiful because I purified her. Verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. And he went into her. And the Lord gave her conception. And she bore a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Oh, have things changed. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a Redeemer. And may His name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to Him. Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and, and, and became his nurse. And the woman of the na- women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. Keep reading. He was the father of Jesse, who is the father of David. There it is. Baby Obed. Born to a Moabite and an old man. He will be the grandfather to David, the one to whom God said, to you and to your children, the scepter of Judah will never depart. There will always be a king of Judah. Turn with me real quick, Matthew chapter 1. You've got to see the full thrust of this. This is a genealogy. Don't go to sleep. It's only six verses. Keep in mind in genealogies that you only typically mention men. That's just the way it worked. You didn't mention the women. You just mentioned the men. Keep that in mind. Track any time we see a woman show up here. The book of the genealogy... This is Matthew 1.1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. That's so huge... But we're going to skip it. Verse 2. Abraham was the father of Isaac, and Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. And Judah the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar. You remember Tamar. She's the trickster who got her father-in-law to impregnate her. 
And Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Amminadab, and Amminadab, the father of Nashon, and Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. Rahab, you remember Rahab? She's the prostitute of Jericho. What? And Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth. She's the Moabite. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. You remember Bathsheba. She's the adulterer. So not only does Matthew mention four women, but he mentions a trickster, a prostitute, a Moabite, and an adulterer. Just think of it. Wouldn't you try to bury that if you were writing a book to convince people that Jesus of Nazareth is the Son of God? No, you don't. Why? Because he is careful to show us that Jesus of Nazareth will identify with the lowliest and the broken. He actually sets the stage for the whole rest of Jesus' ministry. The rest of Jesus' ministry will go like this. Hey, you should minister to these people. But what about these? Oh no, we don't touch those. Okay, that's where I'll go. That's the story of Jesus' ministry. Who is the first person to see Jesus alive after He's resurrected? Peter? John? One of the Pharisees? Nicodemus? Mary of Magdalene. The woman that he healed from seven demons. She gets the honor of seeing our Lord first. The Savior comes from a line of pagans, tricksters, prostitutes, and adulterers. And as he hung on the cross of Calvary, he paid for their sins. And when he arose, he arose to redeem. He arose to redeem Tamar and Rahab and Bathsheba and praise God to redeem Ruth. And He stands ready to redeem anyone who would mark make the unnatural choice of turning from your sin and going to the God of Israel. Throw your lot on the true and the living God and trust Him as your only hope and your Redeemer. We're closing. As we close, let me throw this question at you. What would you have thought of the story of Ruth had it ended with Boaz dying moments after he and Ruth said, I do? What would you think of that ending? i got a feeling that you, like me, would be very disappointed with that ending, right? That's not cool. Yeah, true, Naomi and Ruth, they get their debt paid. I mean, they get the land paid, but Ruth doesn't get Boaz, and Boaz doesn't get Ruth. And there's no baby Obed. Let me suggest to you, in all seriousness, that here in the Bible Belt, that is the story of Christianity most often believed. That is, there are many people who are fine to have an unresurrected Jesus. They're more than happy and perhaps thankful that Jesus would dare die on the cross for their sins and pay their debts. But they have really no need for Him to ever get out of the tomb. 
Because when Jesus rises from the tomb, He rises as King. And when He rises as King, He makes demands. And when He makes demands, He's clear about His demands. I want your life and I want it all. But the idea that Ruth would choose to have her debts paid and not get Boaz, it flies in the face of everything that book is about. And realize it leaves us with no Obed, which leaves us with no Jesse, which leaves us with no David, which leaves us with no Redeemer. I urge you, in all seriousness, if you're here this morning and you think that you've been redeemed, but your life isn't lived in full submission to King Jesus, realize your Redeemer does not exist. He's a figment of your imagination. The only Redeemer in the Bible arose from a tomb. And when He does, He looks at every corner of our lives and with regal authority, He says, it's mine. It's all mine. The story of Ruth is a story of a helpless, needy, poor, desperate people finding redemption in life and the only one who can redeem lost mankind the risen Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. We're going to close in prayer. That's Chad, if he will uh, lead us in that same uh, wonderful song, Come Behold the Wondrous Mystery. Friend, if you're here and you've got questions, find any of us afterwards. We'd be more than happy to talk to you. If you're here and you go, you know, honestly, Tim, there really is no difference in my life compared to, save somebody of the world. There really isn't. I'm really not in full submission. Don't leave here without talking to somebody. It's serious. And if you're here and and you say, Tim, I've never even thought of turning to him, to be quite honest. I am just living my life in this area and just hoping for the best. I am praying with all sobriety that you will turn to the God of Ruth, the God of Jesus Jesus Christ, our only hope this morning. Let me pray for us.